I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are occasional bonus downloads where my co-host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice campfire and spend some time talking with friends and writers who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is Wrangler award-winning writer, Michael Zimmer. Michael Zimmer is the author of 19 novels. His work has been praised by Library Journal, Booklist, Publishers Weekly, Historical Novel Society, and others. A Poacher's Daughter, Five Star, 2014, received a starred Booklist review and was selected winner of the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum's prestigious Western Heritage Wrangler Award for Outstanding Western Novel in 2015. Zimmer resides in Utah with his wife, Vanessa, and I'm glad the two of us could find some time to get together today. Hi, Michael. Oh, Richard, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, it's cooling down a little bit here in Missouri, and uh, we're, we're ready for fall, I think. So I'm happy to talk with you today. It's great to be here. Thank you. So have you always wanted to write Westerns? Where did that start? How did you get started writing? I got started writing oh, probably in middle school. I remember we were assigned a, an assignment to uh, just write something from our personal lives. And I wrote about my sister, who was um, a year or two, well, a year younger than me. It was supposed to be funny. It was meant to be funny. And um, the teacher picked it out. She, she read it aloud to the class. And the class laughed where they were supposed to laugh. And uh, it's just a great feeling. So I think that was kind of the, the gym that, that started all this um wanting to be a writer and wanting to tell stories. Did you did you have a background living in the West? Did you live in Utah or the West back then? Was born in Indiana, uh, raised in Colorado, uh, moved back to Indiana when I was a teenager. And so I've always had this uh, connection to the West, I think based on growing up there. I, I wondered if I had continued to grow up in Colorado, it stayed there, if I would still have that affection for the West or if that was something that came from moving back East and, and leaving everything I kind of knew at uh, Kendra Hage. Sure, I understand that because you sometimes when you leave that you look back and you see all the things more clearly absolutely you look back with a little fondness that uh, you may take it take for granted if you're if you're there all the time what was your first published piece first published piece was for easy riders magazine it's a motorcycle magazine it was a fiction piece it was in i believe that was 1978 i uh, had written for them quite extensively and they were always rejecting my work and i was feeling a little discouraged and uh finally one one time i got a note from them said focus more, you know, give us something we can really use because we all think you have a developing style. And wow, that kind of got me to focus more on that magazine versus this kind of a shotgun approach of many different magazines. So yeah, they, they bought my first one and they paid well back then. Magazines did pay well at one time. That was the start of it. So then you moved to novels after that, after the short stuff started to sell? Well, I had written novels all along. That was my main goal from the beginning. And um, I, I, had, I had not sold anything. So I was still doing short fiction. I was trying to do uh, articles. I was writing novels. I was just kind of doing whatever I could to try to get in print. So when did when did you get the idea for the American Legend series? I think the first book I read by Michael Zimmer was Charlie Red, and it's from that American Legend series. And I thought it was just a great novel, great premise. I, I love that premise. Where did that come from? I um, I do a lot of research, and uh, I, I just really love reading about uh, these old, old timers, these frontiersmen who were out there who were experiencing this stuff, and. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you'd read some little gem of an idea that uh, would just stand out. And it really caught my eye. And I thought, you know, we need to 
find some way that we can share this with other readers without doing like 90% of the book, which is generally just boring. It's talking about the weather. It's talking about your horse is sick, things like that. And then out of, out of all this, there would be some little offhand remark that just blew me out of the water. And that's what I wanted to share with the American Legends collection. I wanted to sense that you are reading someone's journal, that it is being edited, that there are footnotes that hopefully do not take away or distract from the story. And that's where that came from. It's just different approach and an effort to share what I enjoyed so much about research. There's such a sense of realism with uh, those books. I've since gone on and read the first two. And there's there's such a sense that that, that they really happened. And in fact, I think you could convince almost anybody that they really did. Well, a lot of times um, people would make that mistake. In fact, my agent at one point wanted me to uh, put a disclaimer in these books so that people would understand that it wasn't reality. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I don't like doing that. I, I, I want them to kind of be in that uh, shady zone where they're asking themselves, okay, did this happen or, or didn't it? And, and I try to tie it in with something truthful, like in Charlie Red, for instance, I did a lot of research on like steamboats on the Colorado River, stagecoaches, anything I could think of to tie it in with reality, with something that really happened. So please tell us about Via Lobos, which is your latest. Via Lobos came about actually from an article I did for a newspaper. This was back in the late 70s or early 80s as well. I was talking to some very elderly gentleman. He was probably about 90 years old, and um, he had been a part of the Calvary when Pancho Villa attacked the U.S., and, and he was telling me about all of that, and it was a fascinating story. And then, you know, talking about these little gems that just get dropped in from time to time, he mentioned the fact that they were transferred from El Paso, Texas to Marfa, Texas by train, and in the process of doing that, the commanding officers discovered that some of the troopers had hidden some prostitute in, in one of the uh, supply cars. And it, it caused a little bit of a stir, to say the least. And uh, a detail was formed to take these women back to El Paso. That's kind of where that started. I had this idea in my head. I've had it there for decades, wanting to do something with it. So that was where that started. And then the rest, the bandits south of the border, uh, the scalp hunters, uh, the Apaches who were wanting revenge, all of that came out of that. That all just kind of developed as a story developed. I, uh, I never know really where a story is going to go when I start it. I have an idea of what I want to do, but uh, quite often it just takes off on its own and I just kind of follow along and take notes. So, so you don't sit down and outline the entire book, uh, you know, chapter by chapter so that when you start on the first chapter, you know exactly what's going to happen. No, I do not. I tried that one time many years ago and uh, it just did not work for me. I've, I've read that if you start a, a book like that, it can get boring. If you, if you know what's going to happen, I'm like you, I, I start to write and I don't know what's going to happen because it's just, for me, it's like reading then, right? It's like, I don't know what's going to happen. So then neither does the reader, hopefully. Right, exactly. And and I often don't know what's happening. You know, I've had characters that, that just totally surprised me. You know, they would uh, do something I did not expect them to do. I expected them to be uh, the bad guy. And they turned out to be not so bad after all. Uh, kind of kind of makes writing difficult, but uh, I think it makes it livelier as well. Right, yeah. It, it can be a lot of fun and it can also be frustrating when you think you're going to wrap it up and then somebody, some character does something and you say, oh, well, thanks. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> exactly, yes. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what's the difference between a historical Western novel and a traditional Western novel? Because I've seen that bandied about back and forth. Some people write traditional, some people write historical. Do you think there's a difference? I do. I, do. I think there is a difference. I think the traditional novel uh, we're all familiar with. I think it's the kind of the white hat, black hat kind of character. I think it's uh, the rancher trying to save his ranch or the trying to save the stagecoach line. It's the sheriff standing up to bandits or outlaws or bank robbers or whatever. And these are good books. And I've written some of these. Rusted Sun was kind of in, along that uh, vein. And, you know, I thought it was a good book. But, you know, I don't know if there are many surprises in that. And a historical novel, I think, really tries to get the details right. It tries to get the, uh, I think it's more character driven, perhaps. I think, um, how do I say this? The research. Uh, there's a lot of research that goes into the historical novel, I think, that lends that sense of um, realism. I, well, that's, <laughs> now I've drawn a blank to realism, right? <laughs> you, you know, just, to, just to give you an example, um, when I wrote Fandango, which is a mountain man novel set in the late 1820s, I had it set in the 1830, but uh, where I wanted my mountain man brigade to go, there was already uh, another trapping brigade in that area, and I didn't want the two brigades meeting. Now, there's probably maybe half a dozen people people in the world who would have known that or caught that. But it was important to me that I have it as historically correct as possible. So I changed it. I changed the date. Uh, I try to keep the uh, firearms true to the period. I try to keep the vocabulary, the language true to the period. I, I just try to make it as historically accurate as possible. If possible, it's always great to add uh, historical characters. And I know a lot of people feel like if it's going to be a historical novel, you have to have it tied in to a historical event. I disagree with that. You know, that's what makes America great because we can all disagree on something like that. And um, we all still enjoy the finished project, I hope. So of all your books, and we've talked about a few different books that you've written, some traditionals, you've written some historicals, talked about the American Legends series, where would a reader start if they were new to Michael Zimmer as an author? Uh, where would you suggest somebody start? And what, what are some of your favorites uh, that you have written? Uh, I would suggest you start with my historical novels, which would be uh, definitely The Poacher's Daughter. Uh, it's my best reviewed novel. It's been my best selling novel. Uh, and I, it's the one I've got the most feedback on. People just really seem to love the character in The Poacher's Daughter. Her name was Rose Edwards. Um, she was kind of left on her own. I won't get into the plot at this point, but uh, that would be the one that I would recommend people check out. Uh, I also enjoyed uh, The Long Hitch, which is about freighting and the big freight wagon trains between Korea and Utah and the uh, gold fields of Montana. Um, the Beneath the Hunter's Moon is about the Métis buffalo hunters of the northern plains. Uh, so I think another thing that I enjoy about writing and and that sets a historical novel apart is that you can, you can get away from the more familiar plot lines. Uh, of, of the ranch or the, or the sheriff, the known sheriff, and explore some uh, very unique aspects of the American West that a lot of people don't know about. And there really is a lot that people don't know about. I'm, I'm always surprised when I talk about uh, growing up in western Nebraska and some of that past that just people just did not learn about it in high school or college and they haven't had the chance. Well, that's right. Just just so many things, the, the Métis Buffalo Hunters, the common Cheryl Traders, and I, I always tell 
anybody who wants to know about the common cheryl think of the john wayne movie and then forget everything <laughs> because it is, it is completely inaccurate but it was a fascinating culture in itself religious sects out here um or religious communities the russian influence on the fur trade uh, there's just so much we, we could sit here and talk about it for hours and not cover half of it. You're right. Michael, I need to wrap up our conversation, so I'll do so by pointing folks to your website, www.michael-zimmer.com, where they can learn more about you and your books. So thanks for being a part of the Six Gun Justice podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. I've really enjoyed it. And I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. You've got some um, great writers on here. So I appreciate being considered worthy of being in that company. Thank you. Thank you. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.